Welcome to this episode of Print Run. My name is Eric Hayne, and with me, as always, is Laura Zatz. Say hello, Laura. Hello, Laura. So today we've got something really that we are really thrilled to be sharing with you guys. Uh, we have an interview today with uh, Wynn Contis and Janae Jackson of the bookstore at the end of the world. Um, before we get to what I think is a really fabulous interview with them about all sorts of different things related to book selling and publishing, um, how about the basic rundown? Absolutely. So we are still at the very beginning of what month is it? May? What month May? ever is it? Yeah. I, I had know. to I had to actually check my calendar there. <laughs> um <laughs> which means that we still have three special episodes to get to you yet this month. That includes our query critique show, our first page critique show, and a third flexisode. So if you would like um any of your questions answered, if you have suggestions for our episodes, or if you want your work to be critiqued, send them to us. We're at printrunpodcast at gmail.com. It's worth mentioning that we we pick our queries and our first pages semi-randomly. We kind of go randomly, but make sure that there's a, a an okay genre spread. Yeah. Um, so the sooner you send it to us, the sooner we'll get to it. We try to get to um, at least one thing from each writer at minimum so uh yeah so again it's printrunpodcast at gmail.com and as always um, but especially in the time of coronavirus if you need or want access to our special episodes to help you in your writing career and you cannot afford it you just email us again printrunpodcast at gmail.com and we will give you access that is forever and ever and ever um and we hope that you use it well so we're really excited today. Um, as we mentioned, we are here with some guests we're very excited to have on the show. We're here with Janae Jackson and Wynn Contis, uh, two, two booksellers who are a part of the project called Bookstore at the End of the World, a project through Bookshop. Um, and we are very excited to be talking to them today because it feels like the exact right, um, you know, this is something that is a major story, I think, in publishing, you know, what these guys are, are up to. And so... Thank you both for coming on and sharing your expertise with us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks so much. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, and so I guess maybe like the place to start obviously would be, I mean, both, we'd love to kind of just get, you know, who you guys are. Like we'd love to, you know, maybe an introduction to each and then maybe we can talk a little bit about the project itself. Great. Uh, I can go first. My name is Wynn Contis. I am a writer a bookseller and a licensed social worker here in New York City. Um, I was practicing social work before going back to graduate school um, and I got my MFA at the new school in creative writing, fiction. Woohoo, new school. Very cool. <laughs> um, and so I became a bookseller after I graduated. I was looking for something that sort of combined my love of books and writing with the community aspect of social work that was really important to me. And I found book selling. Um, and before the pandemic, I'd been at my brick and mortar store for almost two years uh, doing that. So yeah, that's just a brief bio of me. <laughs> How about you, Janae? Yeah, so I am pretty new to New York. Um, I'm originally from Philadelphia. And um, in undergrad, I uh, majored in English, but I was also a pre-med student and um, decided pretty last minute that I didn't want to go to med school after all and didn't want to be a doctor, um, but was still 
really deeply passionate about things to do with um, healthcare and mm-hmm. um, wholeness and all of that. And, but I think just beginning to also start to see a lot of the um, systemic things that um, contribute to people's ability to be well and ended up going to get a master's in public health um, mm-hmm. instead. And um, so I uh, did that out in LA, uh, found out that I was um, expecting twins uh, with my husband. So we moved back east uh, <laughs> yeah. to be near our family. And um, that's where I started working in a family of community health centers, um, doing a lot of different things, um, data management and prenatal education groups and quality um, assurance and all sorts of things. And then um, my husband's job brought us to the city and um, I stayed on working from home just doing the data management portion um, part-time and at the time my daughters were three and a half um, so not in full-time school and um, so I did that I was mom and you know working from home part-time and um, and then they started school and I started spending all of my free time um, with my first love I found all of the bookstores all over New York Mm -hmm. and um, yeah I was just that's how I would spend my free time and so I inevitably started following a few on Instagram um, and you know was like maybe one day one of them will be hiring you know I had sent my application but no one was ever hiring because no one left their jobs because they loved them so much and so I took that as a good sign um and then a store that I was following said um you know it came up that they were opening a new location and I said I think this is my chance so um I went by dropped off my resume um was hired um within a couple of weeks and so I'd actually only been there um since this past August um at uh, my brick and mortar location um and so I'd been there from August until now um but had the unique experience of being able to Uh, quite literally build it, um, like building bookshelves uh, from the ground up, um, which has been really neat. Um, But yeah. Yeah. And both of you and and both of you are no longer working because of the COVID-19 pandemic at your brick and mortar stores. Is that correct? It is. Yeah. Yeah, correct. I was laid off within almost about a week, maybe a little bit longer of the official closure in in New York City. And so then talk to us about the bookstore at the end of the world, because you're still both of you are still very much bookselling. And I want everybody to know exactly what it is that you're doing. Yeah, bookstore at the end of the world. I actually found out about it because a fellow friend at the new school had gotten involved. And that's how I came across it. I also saw some media coverage of it. Um, And I'd been looking for something that would keep me busy, but also engaged with the part of bookselling that I love, which is, like I said earlier, the the community aspect of it. Um, You know, one of my favorite parts of being a bookseller was running the in-store book groups that we did, as well as just literally hand-selling a book and having that kind of one-on-one interaction with people. And um, so I reached out to Jeff Waxman, who is our founder and fearless leader at Bookstore at the End of the World and just said, I'm interested in contributing. However that looks, let me know. And I thought there was no way that I was going to hear back from him. I was just like, I thought I had kind of sent an email out into the world and, you know, maybe in a couple of weeks would hear something. Um, but he got back to me right away and let me know uh, kind of what the project was. And 
It is a digital storefront uh, hosted on bookshop.org, which is a website that uh, sources most of their books from Ingram, uh, which is a warehouse that a lot of independent bookstores use. And it's a cool alternative to Amazon in that it provides stores and individual booksellers like us a place to sell books online, but also reap the benefits directly. So 30% of sales from bookstore at the end of the world come back to us, the booksellers, or if it's a brick and mortar, back to the brick and mortar. Um, The booksellers at bookstore at the end of the world are booksellers who have lost their jobs or lost hours due to the pandemic. Originally, it was just us in New York City, um, but now there are booksellers nationally involved. And we have books on our individual shelves. It started off with 10. It might have changed, gotten a little more, a little bit less. So you can read our recommendations. And there's some money that comes back to us as a group if you buy using our link through Bookstore at the End of the World. It's a little bit of of a, you know, financial... A motivator there, but it keeps us engaged with one another. Bookselling with other booksellers, talking books with other book people is just the most wonderful thing in the world. So mm-hmm. having people like Janae, who I'm uh, now selling with digitally, has been really fun. Um, posting, engaging with people on social media about bookstore at the end of the world has been really cool. We've had so much support and a lot of media coverage. Um, so yeah, it's a way to sort of draw attention to what's happening in the publishing world with independent bookstores, bookstores around the country, and to engage with readers and other booksellers who are in similar situations to me. Well, so I think like, you know, from here, obviously, you know, this sort of represents a really nice, I think a really positive response to a very difficult publishing situation. And it kind of comes at a time when publishing, not just book selling, but really every part of the industry is sort of re-examining its, like, relationship not only with, like, its workforce, but also with, like, even just physical space, you know? <laughs> like, I feel, you know, we're seeing, like, a lot of work from home. We're seeing things like that. And I'm interested in your guys' thoughts on how, um, you know, like, I, everyone pictures the indie bookstore as, you know, the place you go and browse, right? Like, it's a place that... You know, it has, I think, a lot of physical associations for people, and I'm interested in if you kind of, if you guys see this moment at all as a chance to sort of rewrite that image in people's heads a little bit, so they can see it as something other than just going in and browsing a store. You know? Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the, um, I think there is something to the physical space, and you know, my. My, my brick and mortar store was um, literally one of my absolute favorite places in the city to just to just be inside of, you know, it was a place mm-hmm. that um, I just it was warm and it was inviting and, um, you know, it was a restful place for me, even as my place of work. And I know that a lot of our customers just loved being in this space. And so I do think there is very much something to that. But I think that um, there's, you know, the the decor and the shelves and the smell, um, which was literally one of the, um, most common things people would walk in and be like, Oh my gosh, this is, this place smells amazing. <laughs> you know, just the smell right. of books. Um, and so I do think there's something to that, but I think one of the other huge parts of what makes an indie bookstore, what it is, is that, um, 
you know, the staff are carefully curated and so are the book selections and um, the relationships that we're able to build with customers. And as Wynn said earlier, just hand selling books, getting into conversations about everything, you know, and then um, finding these common interests and, um, and if not with, you know, you and that customer being able to connect them to your um, coworker who, you know, does have common interests in doing those warm handoffs and, and those sorts of things. And so I think that that is something that um, I think as we're learning in the time of COVID that not everything can be recreated um, online in the same way. But I think that um, Bookshop does give us the opportunity to get as close as possible, you know, given um, those limitations. I think, you know, having those recommendations and having them be connected to real people and having our bios there and kind of knowing like, you know, the sorts of things that we're into and then this is what we're reading and just like as a starting off place, um, I think breeds a little bit more of that sense of being seen and and known and and being able to be in as direct communication as possible with somebody. And I think that that is, um, you know, the other big part of the indie bookstore experience, which, um, you know, is something that we can, you know, get sort of you know, as close as possible to duplicating, um, you know, in this environment. And I think that it's, I, it's, I think it's worthwhile um, to, to try to, to give it, you know, what we have. Um, cause it's, it's an uncharted space. And I think there's a lot of potential there. Um, I kind of liken it to an e-reader. Uh, I personally don't use them, but I definitely get the appeal. You know, with an e-reader, you get something sort of instantly or maybe you can get a book that you would be embarrassed or maybe ashamed yeah. to, to buy <laughs> sure. in public or that you wouldn't want to get some like bookseller's opinion on, you know, <laughs> <Right>. like <laughs> you just want to read Fifty Shades, you know, you don't need like some tastemaker bookseller <laughs> telling you what you should or should not be reading. And so I think I like to think of bookstore at the end of the world sort of in that vein where maybe the person who didn't come into a brick and mortar store before or was less likely to for whatever reason, now they can do it from the comfort of their phone or their computer and they don't have to have that interaction or maybe it's something that they feel they weren't comfortable with or they were interested in and now they can engage with it in this uh, more familiar way where you know it's online or it feels like social media. And I, I hope that people are visiting bookstore at the end of the world and going, oh, I can't wait to go into a bookstore when this is all over or are having their interest peaked in a way that maybe they wouldn't before. Um, or maybe they had gone to a bookstore for an event or a reading, but weren't typically going in just to browse and, and look around and having a friend or a family member doing bookstore at the end of the world, they're, they're more inclined to go and kind of look at the website because they have a vested interest and it's, it's, becoming something fun to to see what someone is saying about a book that they've read or that they've heard of. And I hope that it's creating that type of bridge between people who may or may not have come into the stores before and that it's keeping people who have always come into the store still interested and, and still getting that connection that Janae was talking about earlier. So I'm hopeful that it's maybe opening a door for people in ways that the brick and mortar stores are limited. There's not a lot of ways that they're limited because they're so amazing. I know I'm biased, but <laughs> you know, maybe this is one of them, you know, maybe this is a way sure. that people can, um, 
go online and have that experience for the first time or in a new way. Yeah, I mean, I think even to Wynn's point is that, um, like I said, I will always advocate for coming into the store. I will also always advocate for, um, you know, a book in hand as opposed to an e-reader. And I live in a New York City apartment, which, you know, and so it's always a hard sell, but I will (laughs) still, you know, it's always... (laughs) Um, but you know, I know that everybody is not, you know, exactly like us. And, you know, so I feel like just to one's point, cultivating like reading and literacy, like in any way that we can. And there are some people who like, will will shop online because that's what they're used to. And so I think having some avenue that still, I think contributes to, um, what feels like, I don't know if more pure um, is the right word, but an experience of buying books, um, like having that option um, for for folks for whom like the, the coming out to the store would have been a barrier, um, I think is helpful. I think it's really clear that both of you just love the physical space of a bookstore. And I do, too. Like my first my first job related to books was at, at a bookstore. I was a bookseller. And it's still one of those things that I return to. And I and in publishing, like on on the sort of pre-pub side of things, I, I think about something I heard at a book selling convention, actually, uh, many years ago, which was publicity or marketing can get your book into a bookstore, but a bookseller gets it gets a book out of a bookstore and that for me like does such a great job of crystallizing what I think fundamentally book selling is like it's not just a retail job where you're sitting there and people browse and they pick something up and you and you know you run the cash register like it really is a a personal community like driven vocation um and what's really exciting to me is that you all have found a way to take that when and div- and when when circumstances have divested you of the beautiful smell and the shelves and the ability to just like be with books you have still figured out how to keep the heart of what book selling is and you've and you've kept it alive Yay. Thank you. We're trying. (laughs) Doing our best. (laughs) Yeah. I I think like, you know, on top of that, like all of that is so like you guys just kind of listed all the reasons people love indie stores, right? Like it's connection, it's people, it's all these things. And I think like all of those things as features are why I think there's kind of widespread fear right now surrounding um, like the fate of indie bookstores because, you know, this pandemic, it sort of strikes at all of those things, right? Like it makes it harder to congregate. It makes it harder to, you know, take advantage of all of the things that an indie bookstore can offer that, um, that you know, that Amazon or, you know, other online retailers, you know, that they can't. And so I'm kind of interested in maybe hearing, you know, what you guys think I guess I, I see a project like Bookshop and specifically Bookstore at the End of the World, and I get a lot of hope as sort of like, you know, yeah, you know, it's not browsing physical shelves, but it is, we're, we're starting to attempt an answer, you know, and at this point, a necessary answer, because what, you know, we're kind of, we're at the, you know, we're at the end of the world, you know, <laughs> like, we're kind of here, and it's time, you know, to do something or nothing, and I'm interested in what you guys think you know, moving forward, like eventually in some way, shape or form, people will be, you know, back out in the world again and we'll be 
you know, shopping, you know, like quote unquote normal. Do you guys see models like bookshop or bookstore at the end of the world as being something that might change the landscape even after COVID? I hope so. Um, I think that bookstore at the end of the world and bookshop in particular give me a lot of hope for that change. But I'm also hopeful that this experience uh, really puts a major shift in publishing and bookselling as a profession. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know a lot of professions other than publishing that expect you to have an extensive professional background or experience and a higher degree, but then go on to pay you like hourly minimum wage or a menial (laughs) salary in the most expensive city in the country. And so I would love to see this shift in the way that we approach the economy from all fronts shift how we approach publishing and how we compensate the people who work within it and how we support booksellers. So I would love to see conversations like the one we're having now continue to just shed more light on what it's like to really be a bookseller um, aside from the stuff that's awesome. You know, it's still a job. There's still stuff that, that isn't always awesome. And so I'm hopeful that things like bookshop.org that are putting the emphasis on money back to the stores and where we source books from and giving booksellers a chance to sort of advocate as individuals and, and sell and lean into the parts of the job that they really love is just the beginning of something greater. Um, I would be disappointed to see this work um, continue the way it was going before this happened. And it's, it's challenging. It's, it's hard to be critical of, of book selling or bookstores, the publishing world when it, you know, it's, it's a community and something that I really love to do and brings me a lot of, of happiness. So it's not always easy to be right. vocal about the financial side and the, and the fact that most booksellers don't have benefits. Most of us don't have union protection. Most of us are working late on holidays. Um, so that when you're doing your Christmas shopping at seven thirty at night on Christmas Eve, there's a, a bookseller there <laughs> selling you that book. Sure. Um, so it's not easy to make those criticisms, but yeah, I think bookstore at the end of the world is, is a first inkling that, uh, we might be moving in a different direction and we might be talking about accessibility in different ways. Um, I think that there are ways that we can sell digitally and, and create, um, that different side of book selling as well as have the brick and mortars. I, I don't see those two things being in competition with each other. Um, so I'm hopeful that there's going to continue to be positive change and that, and that when we get back to work, um, whenever that is and whenever that can be done safely, that uh, bookstore owners and, and publishing executives are like, hmm, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when you, you mentioned um, minimum wage and lacking benefits and, and, and kind of being – in a slightly vulnerable position because of the way that this system is is organized. You're right now book selling through Bookstore at the End of the World, not for your former employer. How do the owners of the bookstores that you've been working for feel 
about bookstore at the end of the world? Like, did, are, are people seeing this as aiding or harming the their individual businesses and slash or indie bookstores in general? That, that's a good question. Um, I'm interested to hear Janae's answer. I don't actually know if the owners of, of my bookstore know that I'm uh, selling for bookstore at the end of the world. Um, I hope that they would be supportive. I think that they would be. Um, I know that we've had a lot of support from bookstore owners around the country. Um, people like Kelly Link and Josh Cook and mm-hmm. um, Brad Johnson, like people who are, are across the country that have been really supportive. I also know that we've had a few booksellers in New York City be pretty vocal that they don't um, like our ability to generate money as sort of independent contractors, um, you know? Yeah. So there's that, <laughs> you know, I hope that they'll be supportive. Um, not everyone has been, but I think for the most part, we've seen a lot of really strong community support. Yeah. I'm actually, um, I think like when I'm not totally sure, I, um, you know, other than our form emails, um, I have not gotten any communication from, um, you know, anybody in um, general management or owners um, mm. since I was laid off um, uh, on March, um, I don't know, the middle of March <laughs> sometime. Um, I haven't heard from, from anyone about anything at all. Um And so, um, and, but I'll be, you know, honestly, like even within myself, I had this tension of, you know, I want to have a job to come back to, right. Um, you know, assuming that we're able to, and is it wise to divert business away? Um, and yet there is this reality that like nothing is guaranteed and nothing is promised. And there is this real opportunity to, um, to be heard. Um, I think at the end of it, while the financial incentive will be nice, you know, um, and helpful because everything's helpful, like it won't be life changing. And I, and so at the end of the day, I don't think any of us are, are in it for, um, for that. Um, but that it's been this really unique opportunity to have this conversation and this conversation that we've been, been having sort of across, um, media and, um, like a really important conversation and, um, so I've been really thankful to, to get to be a part of, to get to be a part of that. And I'm just really thankful for, um, Jeff's leadership, um, in all of this. Um, you know, I am a, a book lover and a supporter of all things, um, literacy, but I am very green to the, you know, the sort of inner workings of, um, book selling and publishing and, and all of that. And so, um, it's been eye opening um, for sure. I think even from the very beginning, I think even as Wynn had said, you know, almost all of my coworkers, myself included, like we all have advanced degrees. Um, you know, we <laughs> are expected to, to be well read and have this like vast knowledge and, you know, superb, you know, customer service skills and just all of these things. And then, you know, we start off being paid minimum wage, um, which in New York City is higher than most places, but, you know, isn't a living wage, right? And right. so my stores um, were actually in the process of unionizing um, when the pandemic, um, you know, when everything wow. got shut down. 
So we had voted. Um, we voted in December and we were um, in negotiations um, and then things shut down. And um, so our union representatives um, have still been in communication with um, leadership and um, they are the reason that, you know, health benefits had been extended as long as they had been. Um, they've been really still working to advocate. Um, but I'm in the unique position of, um, you know, thankfully, like I have benefits through like my husband's work and um, and I had another job. And this was something that I was doing because I wanted to and because it was fun, not because I absolutely needed it to feed myself or my family. But I also recognized that I was in a really privileged position um, in that sense and that a lot of all of my colleagues worked at least two jobs, if not more. Right. Um, and, you know, this is just not a position frankly, that anyone should be in, um, but then certainly given what is sort of asked of us um, and feeling undervalued. And um, and so with regards to the unionizing, um, you know, there are definitely pros and cons. And, um, and I wasn't completely sure, you know, how I had felt about wanting to do it in this context. I've seen really amazing benefits to unions in certain industries. And then I've seen um, some of the downsides to um, what unionizing means for, um, you know, uh, certain things. And, and, and so, um, but I think one of the things that really sold me was the pitch about this being, you know, a wake up call to the industry. Um, and there's a precedent for it. There, there are a handful of other bookstores in New York City that had already unionized in the past couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, and this movement had been growing. And it was really about pushing this conversation um, about, you know, us booksellers on the front lines um, needing to be um, just valued um, um, more and, you know, not the fault of any one store or owner, um, but just an industry conversation um, about how things are structured and, um, yeah, and how, how we show who's valued. And so that was, um, for me, said, okay, you know, I, I want to have that conversation. I want to be part of pushing that conversation, um, you know, so... I think to add on to that, I think that when layoffs in the bookselling industry started to happen, we saw this gigantic reaction on social media from people who were really surprised by the way booksellers are being treated by their employers sort of nationally. And I think mm -hmm. that's sort of indicative of the fact that a lot of people are surprised to learn that booksellers really function as retail employees. You know, we are expected to have higher levels of education uh, and be really well read and be sort of knowledgeable in this unique way. But we work and function as minimum wage retail employees for the most part. And I don't think a lot of people realize that because um, the kinds of feelings you have, like, you know, walking into an H&M are different than you have at a bookstore. And even right. though both are important places that you theoretically need to go to, you know, it's just different. The The way that they function in society is, is different. Um, and so I, I think that's important to sort of draw attention to the fact that people don't really know uh, what it, what it's like in publishing for a lot of people uh, coming into entry level um, and book selling as well. And I think that 
we should hold bookstore owners accountable for the choices they make with their employees. And that's a personal opinion of, of mine. You know, that doesn't reflect on, on the stores that I've been affiliated with, but I, I do think that we have to sort of hold them accountable moving into this next phase of what bookselling looks like. Um, you know, this idea of this virtuous small business owner is great, but we all are all accountable for each other when we work for a business, whether it's big or it's small. Absolutely. And I think that the same way that readers and community members and individuals can make a point of being involved uh, in local state elections, you know, like voicing their support, voting in ways that support small business initiatives, um, attending council meetings in in their cities and local principalities, like bookstore owners can also take that accountability to support their employees and and in different ways. And a lot of bookstores have. And we should talk about bookstore owners who have done that, who are providing healthcare and who who are demanding that their their workers make um, more than the minimum wage and, and who are looking to extend those types of benefits across the board and who are being mindful of holiday hours, you know, and are making people do Black Friday kind of promotions and, and things like that. Um, and so I don't want to, I don't want it to sound like, you know, there's this, there are, you know, all books owners are ignoring that. That's absolutely not true. Um, so I think that they deserve recognition if they are and that we should hold them accountable if they aren't. Yeah. And I think even just to your, to your point, Lynn, I think that showing that, you know, it can be done, um, is important. And I, I feel like, you know, that's always where I go to when you see these successful business models who, you know, are both, um, financially successful and also manage to be, um, humane, um, in the way that they, um, operate, um, and to say that they can be done and, um, then it's like, so why isn't it, you know? And so that's, um, yeah, I, yeah. So I agree. (laughs) So in terms of ushering this new era of book selling into the world, um, a lot of people who listen to the show and both Eric and I work in pre-pub, on the pre-pub side of books. As booksellers, what do you wish that publishers did or did more to get people into the store to get product into the store in the right way like how can we help support independent booksellers and individual booksellers who are doing the hard work of selling the books that we that we make so I think one of the big things and um, one of the things that I'm really excited about what's happening um, with bookshop um, is that whenever anything is is online, um, it's, you know, whenever there's a review written online, whenever there's anything going out, all of the media communication that the publishers have, you know, yes. everything's linking directly to Amazon. Um, and so that is a huge issue because, you know, it, it makes it so easy for people. And then they don't even have to think about, you know, who their indie local indie bookstore is. Um, and so I think that that single-handedly, um, and maybe it's naive or maybe it's, um, my personal biases, but I think that that makes a huge difference. Um, and so, you know, I know that there have been a few publications, um, since we've started this initiative, um, that have, um, gone on record to say that they are willing to change the links in their, um, 
you know, in their write-ups um, to go to Bookshop instead of to Amazon. And um, that's huge. And I think that um, continuing to take advantage, like I follow a ton of, you know, bookstagrammers um, on Instagram. And I think that they do a really good job of, um, you know, putting books out there um, and getting, you know, titles and building hype. And, um, you know, you've got Reese's Book Club and Read with Jenna and like all of these things happening. And, um, and so a lot of them have, um, you know, Bink did a really great campaign. Um, so all of these, um, all the publishers, several authors that I follow, the big, bigger named like book clubs are all pushing that campaign during this COVID crisis. Um, and it's getting attention. And so, you know, I think that, um, you know, when they ask questions about like, what's your favorite bookstore or things like that, but taking advantage of these, um, people and um places where they already have a huge audience and um like redirecting them um I think could also just be really helpful and probably um not especially taxing you know on them (laughs) to um to to do right Um, I I agree with that so much directing things to bookshop now that bookshop exists is it has to be number one for the industry as a whole um, I can kind of happily say that in the almost two years I was at my brick and mortar, we had really strong relationships with our publishing reps and knew many of them by name and they would come bearing food and gifts and galleys <laughs> every time they came. And <laughs> I think that says a lot about the relationships that our buyers and our owners have sort of forged with the publishing uh, reps that they worked with, which was a real strong suit of my store. Um, but yeah, we had a really strong relationship with them. The other thing I would say, two things I would add on to the linking to bookshop would be if publishing reps, uh, and agents and the like could come to every in-store event that they possibly can continue to please do that. And that's the perfect time to not only meet your reader, um, but to see, you meet your booksellers and your owners and your staff and sort of have a public engagement with the author, which is really important. I hosted a lot of events while I was at the new school and I hosted a lot of events when I was at my store and, um, you know, a a publishing professional's work is just never done, but if they can come to the event, they should absolutely come. It's just an invaluable moment to sort of shake hands and kiss babies. Um, and two, (laughs) one of the things I did at my store that brought me just endless joy was I ran the children's book group, um, the book club that we would have and being able to get galleys and have a relationship with pub reps for the titles that we were reading the month of the book club was super important. Um, I actually met a publishing uh, representative on an airplane back in January, back when we used to ride airplanes. Um, and <laughs> we were reading a galley that I recognized. And normally I'm not that person to talk to people on a plane, but I just couldn't help myself. And we got to talking and a couple weeks later, uh, they had sent a book that they were interested in me reading at, at one of the, the young readers book clubs. Um, and, and that's the kind of thing that makes me take a second glance. It makes me want to feature a book. It makes my life easier having to choose for a young reader group. Um, and that was something I didn't expect, like a relationship I didn't expect to have 
with publishing reps when I came to my store that um, the more events they came to, the more buyers meetings they attended and took the time to like shake our hands and say, hey, you know, my name's Ted or whatever, um, the more likely I was to reach out to them and sort of have that relationship with them. And like we said, put their book or their author's book in the hand of young readers who not only were going to read it, but were going to physically come to the store and engage with us and and have that group. So, um, but yeah, I would, I would say the easiest, most urgent thing publishing reps can do is exactly what was being said earlier is just direct all that linkage to bookshop and start to, you know, change this norm of it going directly to Amazon, especially now that we have that alternative. So, so we've got, um, We've got one more question for you guys, and I want, I'm want i really interested in both your answers. And usually what we do when we, when we have guests on is we finish with kind of a really open question, and that is, you know, what would, you know, what would, if you could change one thing about publishing, what would it be? But I do want to, I want to, like, specify it here for this conversation, which is that, like, if publishing could do one thing that would get it to value its booksellers more, what do you think that could be, especially as we stare down a pretty unprecedented time of precariousness for booksellers. You know, like if one thing could change that would get the industry to see people in your role as as valuable as they as you guys clearly are, um, like what would it be? Um, I think I hate to be like be a dead horse, but I think paying people what they're worth Yes. Is the number one thing because I think those things are really tied to book selling. I think publishing houses want to hire people who have a certain level of experience um, with whatever the position might be, or they're offering unpaid internships. um, And that really limits the diversity of your staff. It limits who can take those jobs if you're paying them $30,000 a year. And so people do turn to things like book selling in order to gain that experience and to sort of have something on their resume and sort of get their feet wet in the publishing world, there's a lot of crossover. And I think if both arenas of publishing, both bookstores and publishing, are not valuing their employees by paying them a living wage, then there's no need for either to do it. You know, like if publishing isn't paying their staff a living wage then why would bookstores do it? The jobs are super competitive. They're hard to get. Um, They are sort of in this specialized field. And so if there's no motivation to do better, then there's no motivation to do better. And so I think that there's a message being sent to the publishing assistant who is making, I saw a job within the last nine months that was that was paying twenty eight thousand dollars in new york city you know if if the Mm -hmm. the publishing assistant making 28k um is making 28k and they're saying yes to that then i think what that publishing house is essentially saying is we don't value you there's a million people behind you willing to take your job so either take the 28k and zip it or you know keep it pushing because there's bodies behind you and so the second that that message changes and we say things like we want to hire Wynn because she has this connection with young readers or we want to hire Janae because she has this incredible public health background that she can bring to our publishing house. Like then that 
that starts to change and we start to pay people what they're worth and choose them for the individuals that they are. And I think that'll put pressure on bookstores to sort of do the same and vice versa. You know, the second someone feels empowered to do their work on top of loving what they do, I mean, that's just unstoppable. Yep. So we have to create an environment where those things are working in tandem, that that booksellers um, like me and the people at Bookstore at the end of the world who love this work are also feel really valued and protected by their employers and publishers need to do better. Like 28K, come on. I don't care if you're publishing. <laughs> no, like, I agree. The next, like... I don't even know, like Ernest Hemingway, but like, come on, like you gotta get together, you gotta do better yeah. than that. And I think it starts with um, people being able to make a living and upsetting the norm and, and demanding more diversity. And you know, I'll keep going if I don't stop here. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, I think um, I think we're gonna keep beating that horse. Um, but. Um, but I think even especially to your point about, like, diversity, um, you know, I I am a black woman and I have, I don't run into many um, people of color in general um, in book selling, um, you know, or in publishing. And I think that, you know, there's a lot to do with it. I think that most people, um, particularly like women of color who I know who I went to undergraduate with who have my credentials, um, also don't have like there's there's no luxury of you know of being able to then go and make and take a, a minimum wage. they're like you know what did I do all this for and I have to you know answer to parents and I have student loans to pay off that you know and and not saying you know and I I don't know the situations of you know all of my coworkers and that sort of a thing but I know from the conversations that I have um with the people that I went to school with and with my friends and you know that it's just not ever something that they could justify, um, especially having to work so hard for, and then, um, and, and so it's, it's hard. It's jobs that people won't even, um, consider doing and that, um, I fell into because, you know, I had a quote unquote real job, um, that, you know, was the one that really contributed to my household finances. And I had a husband with, you know, health insurance. And the sad thing is that my job at the bookstore is the best job that I have ever had yeah. it is the most joy that I have had at work yeah. ever um and I felt um valued and needed and um I also managed stationery and I got to be creative and make beautiful things and write staff recommendations and um really feel like um I have you know an impact and yet I have always felt like my job has required, you know, an asterisk or, you know, a disclaimer, um, because I, I feel like, you know, because of the position that we're put in, it's been made to feel like, um, I don't know, less than it is, or I have been made to feel like, oh, this is like my fun thing and not something that I could take as seriously as I would like to, because it has, you know, not merited being taken you know, as a career or a whatever, um, despite all of the um, joy and beauty and creativity and all of the things that I have poured into it and all of the things that, frankly, it's given me um, in return. And um, yeah, I mean, it's a really important job. And I think that people expect um, 
a lot of us, and I think that it is a job that um, deserves respect, um, both from us, like, you know, and I've had to chastise myself about it, you know, like, my job as a bookseller does not require an asterisk, like, um, it's a job that I'm proud of, um, but I think that it, it has been hard um, to sort of hold it in that um, light, because I have almost been made to feel like, you know, it's throwaway, um, or it's, you know, just a job, like, you know, whatever else, and, you know, not as important, and, um, and, uh, yeah, so I think that we'd go a long way to having, um, a lot more, um, diverse voice, um, you know, voices and people in the stores. I think that that contributes to then who comes into our stores, um, and, um, and who's reading books and just, you know, back to accessibility. Um, and, um, yeah. And I think that it just, it's a job that I think that we should all like feel proud to, to hold because we all, we all work really hard and we're really good at what we do. Um, and I sort of resent being sort of made to internalize, you know, feeling like I, I shouldn't be proud of that work, you know? Um, and, yeah, and so... No, absolutely. Here, yeah. here. Um, I agree with everything. <laughs> really good answers. Really, really good answers. Um, but yeah, no, this, this was awesome. Um, and we are so glad that you guys came on. And um, obviously, we would encourage all of our listeners to um, check out Bookstore at the End of the World, to check out, you know, bookshop.org, all that stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, Janae, uh, when thanks so much for being being on the show. We really appreciate you guys sharing your perspectives with us. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll do what we can to support it. And thanks again. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you giving us this platform. Can I also say to any listeners who think they have too many books and just can't stand it, but want to support Bookstore at the End of the World, also has merch. So you can yes. go online and buy merch and still support us, even if you feel like you're. A little old lady living out of her books like me. I, I bought a really awesome bookstore at the end of the world t-shirt <laughs> at like a... 530 this morning after my dog woke me up. You know, that's what we're living for, that moment, that 530 yeah. a.m. moment. Wonderful. It's like, oh, they have t-shirts? Because I'm not, I'm, yeah, nobody's giving me publishing tote bags right now, so I need something. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Something. We've got t-shirts, we have coffee mugs, and, you know, coffee and say. books mm-hmm. are the best two smells in the world. So yeah, thank so. you so much for having us. <laughs> thank you both. Thank yes. you all so much for joining us on this very, very exciting episode of Print Run. Remember to stay tuned, watch out for our special episodes, and we will see you for a regular episode next week. Bye. Bye.